On this, the 20th episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses King's X's Out of the Silent Planet and Gretchen Goes to Nebraska. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair and on this very special 20th episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my excellent friends Ken Gregory, Paul Zotter, J.D. Virgilio, and Tom Corcoran as we take the Palaver to North America and the progressive metal band King's X. This episode we will cover their first two albums, Out of the Silent Planet, and Gretchen goes to Nebraska. Gentlemen. <laughs> Cheers. Buddy. So what I miss. Dave DeWitt Hi. conversation. What's that? Dave DeWitt conversation. Oh. So uh, he wrote the theme song for the P- Progressive Palaver, Paul's Buddy. Oh, okay. Nice. And he, 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 does, a brilliant, he, does, he does a brilliant t- tutorial of uh, Over My Head. Really nice. cool stuff. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Does this thing have a chat window? Uh, well, anyway. We'll, we'll, we'll just paste the tutorial to the Facebook page whenever this gets published, right? So. Okay. Okay. Yeah, if, this, if we capture this, yeah, if this segment gets gets put on. Yeah, this is like this is like an all star cast of Progressive Palaver right now. It's like it's, everyone. Jay, Jay, it's good to see you. I haven't, I haven't seen Jay in ages. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't get any better than this. My right, neighbor, so. my next door neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> So that being said, um, you know, I know Ken had wanted to start this long before 1030, but life seems to be what it is. So why don't we why don't we kick off talking about King's X, gentlemen? Yes. Hey, let's do that. All right. So I will start out now. Obviously, in chronological order, the albums go out of the silent planet, and then Gretchen goes to Nebraska. I would like to read the blurbs for each of these, A, because they're not very long, and B, I think for all of us, our story starts with Gretchen, and probably fills in with, with out of the silent planet, so, you know, if... I'll just set the stage with those two, and then uh, we'll just Joe, work Joe, Joe, can I interrupt for one second? Can I, <laughs> of course. Uh, is there any way, just for like uh, two minutes, we can talk about sneak preview? Because this, I have to talk about sneak preview. The, really, this, because it came out before the first album, and it has the three guys in it, I just discovered this yesterday, and I'm freaking <laughs> out. I have to talk about this. Do you guys, uh, first of all, um, am I the only one who didn't know about this? No, I didn't. I just, know about I just found out about this yesterday. I yeah. mean, 
I knew before yesterday, but I it's not like I've known for twenty years. Yeah, I've known I've known for a long time. I don't think I've ever freaked out about it though. So this is awesome. Uh, have you heard it? Has anyone heard? I mean, just that clip that you had sent, and I actually think somewhere I think I have on Dropbox. I think I have a version of of sneak preview doing. Uh, here, here comes the sun. I think maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, I listened to Linda three times today. Like I had to listen to Linda while I was shaving and doing the dishes. Like I absolutely <laughs> love that song. Um, were you shaving and doing the dishes at the same time? It wasn't at the same time. It wasn't at the same time. Listen, I just, I, I promise I won't talk about this too long. Uh, I know we have, um, you know, bigger business here. But, um, guys, you're talking to someone who still listens to the outfield. Like, I love <laughs> it doesn't. 80s pop rock. Like, yes. Um, and I, I, love, I love the outfield. And I love the nostalgia of the 80s. Honestly, Sneak Preview gave me more nostalgia. It got me more excited about the 80s than, like, Flock of Seagulls. I mean, like... <laughs> Sneak preview was stop, stop. was the eighties. Oh, no, no, hold stop, on. Now stop. we're gonna talk about Kings. No, X. wait, wait, wait. I can't believe that you, Tom Corcoran, just uttered the words "flock of seagulls" in the <laughs> middle of this conversation. I'm sorry. I know it's a progressive rock, and we're talking. We're all serious, and we're gonna talk about progressive rock. No, but I love it. Just, I love it. It's 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 just unexpected, Tom. Unexpected. Listen, this is what I went through yesterday. I promise I won't I won't go too long on this. So I'm I'm looking stuff up because Out of the Silent Planet is, you know, fantastic and I and I, I wanna you know, I'm just looking stuff up and there was this button in on YouTube that said sneak preview next to one of the other buttons and I thought it was a sneak preview for like a new King's X album. So I'm like, sneak preview, what's this? <laughs> so I click on it. And it's the video for Linda. And, you know, you ever watch an episode of Star Trek and they go back in time or they go forward in time and it's like things aren't quite what they're supposed to be. There was some, like, the flux capacitor kind of went apeshit and, like, the things aren't really what they are supposed to be. Um, so I'm looking at this and Doug Pinnock is... Stand, the, the, the song starts and Doug is kind of looking like Doug but he almost looks like he there, he looks like the picture from like Rage for Order like the guys in you know Queensryche and Rage for Order he's like all done up and so that didn't really look right and then like Ty Tabor is looking like Ken and everything is sort of like not right and then they start the song and it sounds like this it's a great song. I mean, I love the song. I'm not really. Made, I'm, I'm, I was just in love with the song. It's like a power, power '80s song, and I just I, I was so excited to like find this yesterday, and um, and I I was like, wow, am I the only one who doesn't know about this, or am I the only one who's heard this, or what? Because it was like this discovery of our three favorite guys, you know, uh, Ty. Jerry and, and, and Doug, but it's like it wasn't them, and it was it was just a lot of fun. It was just a, a, a lot of fun to see this, and 
So I there was like a whole album of this stuff, you know. I mean, so technically, we, you know, it's we could actually talk about it, which we won't. But I, I mean, this and so no one else is really thoroughly I, checked it out. I mean, is is it even yeah. worth you know discussing? Yes. Well, so it's this is awesome, Tom, because you know, like I go through phases every year where all I listen to is King's X, and all I do is is comb YouTube for more information about King's X. So I've seen the sneak preview stuff before, and they were in this other band. They had this other band called The Edge, and that's what I have a recording of. Uh, of uh, Here Comes the Sun. And it's actually funny because I'm as you're talking, I'm watching the video to Linda, and it reminds me of of the of Trevor Rabin's uh, South African band Rabbit, um, although his band was much more polished and much more. You know, you talk about the the Queensrÿche makeup from Rage for Order; they were much more made up and sort of of glamorous. Um, the sneak preview is kind of like you know not quite as glam rock as uh as rage for order but it's kind of in that same feel it's in that same vein but that's kind of what it reminds me of it's so it's so super poppy polished um and it's cool it's not bad it's 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 cool i mean it's not king's x but it's uh definitely fun i i, I that's the perfect word fun i mean i just i, I had a great time with it and i had to listen to the song a couple times okay um, sorry, I just had to talk about sneak preview. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> Go ahead, Joe. <laughs> no, I mean, and you know, it's it's you know, part of this is is digging into you know how you got to where a certain album is or whatnot. So I think it's great. Now I you know I haven't you know gone down this particular rabbit hole yet, but apparently maybe I need to. Well, you know. The, the other thing that this that this kind of brings up is when you really stop and think about it, Out of the Silent Planet was released in 1988. And, and Sneak Preview and The Edge and a whole host of other groups where I think the first time Doug and Jerry were played together was in 1979. So... For 10 years, almost 10 years, these guys were in and out of different bands, kind of collecting themselves. And and there was just a lot of previous stuff that led up to King's X, which I think is going to be, you know, it's it, it, there's some sort of context there that's important when we start talking about things like, why isn't this band popular? You know, why are the five of us, you know, 50% of the population of you know, the people our age that we know who know King's X, right? Like, I think, I think some of this context may come into play uh, later. They, they, were, they were around working hard, gigging, doing all this stuff for a long time before they even released their first King's X album. Seven years, yeah. They were um, playing together with the, this, the Edge was the first one and then uh, Sneak Preview. And then they were, they were together for seven years. And like you mentioned, Paul, they were... Um, they they played like two of them would play in you know various bands even before that so it was you know uh, a, you know yeah and ten years plus but uh, yeah I mean I, I was thinking about that today I was um, thinking like wow you know um, and it wasn't even like a rags to riches story like you had mentioned it it was like right. 
you know, they made a living, which is, is good. It's better than, you know, most of us. But that um, was, it's, they, they, they stuck it out together as a band for seven years to, to keep kind of doing what they were doing, just kind of keep playing and, and sort of never hit um, that, that place yeah. where a lot of people want to, want to go. So I was, it's a, it's a pretty inspiring story. King's X. I'll do the official bit, and then we can just throw the floor open. Out of the Silent Planet, as Paul mentioned, was released in 1988. It was produced by Sam Taylor and King's X, released on the label Megaforce. Band lineup, as with all of King's X albums, Doug Pinnock on bass and vocals, Ty Tabor on guitar and vocals, and Jerry Gaskill on drums and vocals. Out of the Silent Planet is the debut release from King's X. The title of the album comes from that of a book by C.S. Lewis, an author favored by band members Ty Tabor and Jerry Gaskell. Out of the Silent Planet is also the title of the first track on, from the follow-up album, Gretchen Goes to Nebraska. The cover art features the skyline of Houston with the southern outline of the state of Texas. What you find when you're on Wikipedia for King's X is there's not nearly as much information as there is for, say, Yes or Marillion. Huh. That's true. Gretchen Goes to Nebraska, released in 1989, also produced by Sam Taylor and King's X, also released on Megaforce. Now, I should say, you know, this particular album lists Sam Taylor as playing the pipe organ and the drunk cap piano, which is backward piano. Um, Gretchen Goes to Nebraska is the second studio album by American heavy metal slash hard rock trio King's X. That's not to be confused with the hard rock band that was Marillion. That was a dig at Lars there. Ah! <laughs> uh-huh. uh, <laughs> it is a concept album based on a short story written by drummer Jerry Gaskill. Having received strong critical praise and fan support, Gretchen Goes to Nebraska is considered among the best work of King's X. Now, I want to start this off with a simple question, because as I was preparing for this, I could not remember the answer. Which one of us is responsible for bringing Gretchen Goes to Nebraska into our lives? I'm going to take credit for it. I don't know if it was me or not, but I'm I'm going to take credit for it. (laughs) Where did you hear that? So I I remember this, my story, and I'm not sure if I was the the first person to, um, but but I I felt like, I felt like it was. So I remember this very clearly. So um, all summer long, and I want to say it was 1989, um, over my head was the was in like the top ten most requested videos of MTV every afternoon. So I, I think I was working at the newspaper that summer, and it just always worked out that when I got home, whatever I was whatever I was doing, I was always home in that time slot when they played the um, the most requested videos. And so there were a couple times in midsummer where I heard over my head and saw the video, and. It was just the weirdest thing I had had seen all summer musically. It was just the guys looked weird. Um, 
you know, like, and I shouldn't say they looked weird, but like, you know, Doug had like the mohawk going and he was a left-handed bass player and he was wearing like a, a, a blue jacket kind of uh, war memorial type, like war outfit jacket. And Ty had just this outrageous hair. And all I remember was that everyone looked like they were having a ball on the video. And there was this really weird chord right in the middle of the main riff that I just sat there listening because I just wanted to catch that chord every time <laughs> it happened. So after, after um, seeing it a bunch of times, then I kind of put two and two together and realized that all summer long, you know, as, as a guitar player, as we all had, we would have Guitar World magazine and guitar for the practicing musician. And I started realizing that this band, King's X, that I was watching on MTV, had an, a full-page ad that was in every issue of Guitar for the Practicing Musician that year with a picture of the cover, which was sensational. It just looked like this fantasy cover. And all of these sort of, So there were all these, all these musician types, people from, all, like, people from like modern guitar players to like Gene Simmons to just, you know, people in the industry raving, saying amazing things about King's X. So it all kind of came together in my head. And I was like, all right, well, I, I need to find out more about this band. So I went to Wall to Wall Sound and Video or whatever that shop was called, and I picked up the cassette Gretchen Ghost in Nebraska. And the first time I played it was when uh, with a car full of people heading up to Dorney Park. And I'm pretty sure that at least two or three of you were on that car ride, in that car ride with me. I think all um, of us were. I mean, I, I know I was. That That's the first time I, I had heard King's X. Yeah, so I think there's, I think I can fit five people in there. So I don't remember who all was there. But we, we popped it in, and we just started listening as we drove up 309 to Dorney Park. And you know, overall, we were all just kind of like, wow, this is rocking. And like, I was listening to it thinking, wow, this is really different. This is really cool. I wonder what, you know, all these guys are going to say. And everyone was like, wow, that was pretty cool. And hey, this was rocking. And it wasn't like we got out of the car and said, oh, my gosh, this was the greatest thing we ever heard. But we all seemed very intrigued. And I believe the next the very next day I left to move back into college for the fall semester and I listened to it like twice on the way to school while I drove back to school. And I listened to it every day a couple of times for pretty much the rest of my life um, from that point on. <laughs> and, and so uh, that, that was the start for me. And I, and, I, and I think that was kind of the start for all of us. I don't know if that's true or not. Well, if that's the case, then thank you, Paul, because, um, yeah, like I said, I'd, I had no clear recollection of how, you know, it came into our lives, but I just, I, I, I just remember loving it ever from the, the first time I heard it. I honestly couldn't tell you if I was in that car ride or not, may have been, may have not, I don't really know, but um, I do vividly remember, you know, just falling into for lack of a better phrase gretchen um 
and just you know the whole thing floored me. I mean, I, yeah. I'll never forget that car ride. Uh, actually, that will always stand out um, to me. Actually, I um, I am very nostalgic about when a CD comes out when I first hear it. I actually bought Best of King's X, which is pretty much everything through the uh, Atlantic uh, years. And when I listen to it, I can remember where... I was when I first heard that album or when I first bought the album. A lot of those, I was living in Boston. I remember, you know, going to Tower Records and, and buying it or whatever. But for Gretchen, I mean, I definitely remember being in that car ride with with you guys. And that was the first time I heard it. And that was, um, I, I mean, it blew, blew me away. I mean, it was it was incredible. Um, now, out of the silent planet, we had to, have to sort of go back um, you have to, or go forward. To, to go back, but um, I mean, I, I I definitely remember that car ride for sure. Yeah, so you know, like I said, you know, it, it was one of those things where Gretchen was was our gateway, and from there we were like, oh, they've got a previous album, let's go get that, you know, and 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 that was cool. So, um, you know, for me, I, I would just as soon start at Gretchen, and you know. I guess, you know, I use the phrase fall into because really, and it was interesting when we started this, um, I had put King's X on the schedule originally just because, you know, not necessarily that I considered them progressive music. At, at least I, at the time, I wasn't really thinking about that, you know, a whole lot. It was just, it was an album, you know, the, these were albums that I knew we all loved and would want to talk about. And then you start researching around and everything else. And, and, you know, like I said, for whatever legitimacy this adds, King's X does show up on the list of, of progressive rock bands, um, you know, in Wikipedia, at least. You know, again, take that for what it's worth. But at least, you know, we weren't completely off base. And so, again, as I start preparing for this episode and I start thinking about it, you know, and, and I think... Maybe in the very beginning, or when we were starting to think about this, um, you know, there were some sort of peripheral discussions around what is progressive rock, you know, and is, you know, is late phase Genesis progressive rock, yes or no, and this, that, and the other thing. But one of the things, you know, and it's, I don't know that we have a working definition of progressive rock, but one of the things for me is progressive rock. It, it has that emotional component to it. It's it's able to evoke emotion in you. It's able to sort of open up doors in your mind and, you know, let you hear certain things. And so as I sat here and was preparing for this, I'm like, that's exactly what this does. Um, I feel certain things when I listen to Gretchen. I, you know, I, I sense and I envision certain things. They are, they're very good at, at painting a picture and, and taking me places. And so I think it's, it's very legitimate that, you know, we're considering this. And in some ways, you know, and Jay, I can't wait to get your, your take on Jerry. But I, I was writing down some notes, and one of the things that I, I wrote down was there, and, and you guys laugh if you want, they're almost... Pink Floyd-like with the the basic drums and the slow tempo, but 
in 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 both cases, both of those bands again have this ability to sort of evoke emotions out of you. So I don't know. No, uh, the slow tempo does have one glaring, glaring exception on Out of the Silent Planet. Well, what is that track? Um, what is one, this? It really takes off. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. I was listening to that tonight. Um, but that, that really separates King's X from a lot of the grunge bands and, you know, metal that kind of concurrently happened along with King's X. It was a very deliberate tempos. Fascinating that you should say that, Joe. And I, th I think that mid to slow tempo that, you know, they, they did so much was one of the reasons why the drums, I think, were are so limited. I, I don't think there's... I hesitate to say that there's much you can do with a, a mid to slow tempo like that without throwing a bazillion notes in there in all these open spaces, you know, and they'll come off looking like, hey, look at me, look how fast I can play. And <laughs> so you're left with, you know, eighth notes and triplets and stuff, and it all just sounds so mundane after a while. <laughs> well, he's singing at the same time, so Jerry gets big credit there. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, do you think, I don't know, I'm not even going to say that. I can't afford to buy anyone else dinner at this point. <laughs> well, you know, so that, that goes into what we were saying before. There was such a long history of them doing much more accessible type of music and classic rock. You know, do you think that over, over the time, the, the, the approach to the drums just became... You know, keeping it a little bit more straightforward and not, you know, not doing much outside the box, just kind of keeping the beat going. And, um, you know, if the if the baseline and the and the rhythm of the of the song called for, you know, intricate, you know, kick rhythms, then so be it. But otherwise, you know, just keep it keep it simple. I don't know. Yeah, I definitely think that's his style. Um, I don't know. I haven't listened to much sneak preview, but. I, know, I got the sense that it was more of a a pop band where he'd be required to just kind of play straight the whole way through. You know, nothing more interesting than eighth notes. They mentioned in one of the YouTube videos, they mentioned Cheap Trick as an influence. They wanted loud, but they also wanted pop. During that phase. Now, clearly, Cheap Trick was out of the mix by the time they got to Out of the Silent Planet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's not much cheap trick there. And with melodies being such a focus of King's X's music, I could see him, you know, being preoccupied with the job of having to do both at the same time. And you know, the melodies should certainly have the uh, the upper hand there, or the, the priority. Mm -hmm. Well, and 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 for me, that that's one of the other things that I've always loved about King's X, and you know. Whenever I come across this, it's one of the things that sort of gets me going anyway. And that is this sort of idea of, you know, vocal texture. Not just harmonies per se, but, you know, different lead singers. And, and you get, you know, it, it, again, it, it sort of adds in the ability to, to, uh, to have texture to things. And, you know, these guys did that in spades, obviously, from from the get-go. And, and the, you know, much like 
like Pink Floyd used Roger and David's voices to to you know announce different sort of feelings. You know, I think certainly in in Gretchen they do the same thing with with uh, with Ty and Doug. Now Doug does you know the lion's share, obviously, but you know it 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 does provide sort of that that change of pace. It's very very cool. And Ty kicks off the album, right? Uh, Gretchen. Oh yeah. We hear Ty first. Um, I actually think Doug sings lead on uh, on out the song out of the Silent Planet, but they're all singing the whole time. So it's kind of you know it's kind of the layer, uh, the layered singing. But you know, Joe, one of the things you just mentioned to me or to the group here was was the the, uh, the separate vocalists, and um. You know, from that car ride, like, I, I just remember Out of the Silent Planet being just, you know, rocking and, like, all these atmospheric vocals and heavy guitar. And over my head, for for whatever reason, that song, I just listened to it and I just kept listening for that chord. And, and I was like, I'm just going to have to spend time on that one. I don't know why that was so tricky for me to, um, you know, to, to kind of get my head around. But, you know, Summerland was just incredible. And then they come through with um, everybody knows a little bit of something, and all I could th- all I could think of was like somewhere between like sticks and Kansas, and I was just like, like wow, and um, and then after that song they did it's the difference, and I was like, you know, if my brain could have followed along what was going on, it would have been like okay, now what I really want to hear is like acoustic guitar with like amazing three part harmony. And like, and that's, you know, that's what they delivered. You know, it was just, it was really, um, really, really, um, it was a really impactful, obviously. But when you really think about what was happening in music in, in 1989, it was very different from, you know, the mainstream guitar oriented. Oh my God. Pop, glam, glam metal, glam rock, and then metal and everything. It was just very, very different. And, you know, from that perspective, I think, you know, just the fact that it was, it seemed to take whatever was happening in popular music to a different place. Uh, I, I feel like the progressive label fits very well. Although it's very entertaining. There somewhere on the YouTubes, there is a, um, there is a youngster who apparently does YouTube reviews of progressive metal albums. And someone asked him to review Gretchen Goes to Nebraska. And I mean, this this guy's like eighteen or nineteen or something like that, and he's I think he's either Australian or English. I can't remember. And he basically listens and he like talks through Gretchen Goes to Nebraska. And here I am listening to this kid, this album that I love so dearly. And he's like, yeah, you know, this song's okay. He's like, you know, it's got kind of a nice guitar line. And he's going through each song and he's like. I don't know why anyone considers this to be progressive metal. <laughs> it's like, it's like I don't think it's progressive metal at all. <laughs> well, I, you know, I was um, listening to an interview on on YouTube, and even King's X themselves were sort of they were always being interviewed in these metal magazines, and a lot of the people who read the magazines would kind of give them grief. Like, oh, these guys aren't metal. Like, what are they doing in this magazine? 
And then they were they, they were saying to themselves, well, I don't even know why we're in these magazines anyway, because they didn't even think of themselves as metal. So they, they sort of had yeah. uh, this um, this identity crisis, if you will, and about, you know, what what they should, you know, do with themselves. That was funny. I, I don't know who, but one of the members of Pearl Jam is um, credited as, as saying that they, they think that King's X was the first grunge metal band because the, of the sound. Um, of course, they'll never be labeled as that. Thank goodness they're, they're not. But, uh, I mean, everyone has their own opinion about what they are. So, I mean, I think progressive rock is as good as anything with them because it's really hard to, 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 to nail it down. I mean, other than just saying, you know, hard rock. But um, one of the things about uh, Out of the Silent Planet that I got uh, after listening to it is I think that, um, A, it really holds up with their other stuff. I mean, a lot of times, you know, with like Marillion, we're talking about, you know, Jester's Tear doesn't quite hold up and whatever. I mean, there's elements of it that are there. Um, but... I mean, I think Out of the Silent Planet um, is, like, right up there with the best of. I mean, at least um, yeah. on my my end. Um, I, I think it's also some of the most soulful singing uh, from Doug. I mean, and when, then, when you look at what they did previously, which is a sneak preview, and I was even more blown away. I was like, oh my gosh, how do you come go from this to this? Um, but, I mean, there was, was a real um, soul with his singing uh, that on on a lot of these songs that um, you know when I first listened to it you know back in the day I don't know if the word soul came to mind but uh, listening yeah. now uh, I was I was just really blown away by how much um, like R and B and soul was was kind of brought into the hard rock uh, genre and um, they really I mean they really just threw everything into a bowl of soup i mean like funk and hard rock and soul and everything and it, and it there's some of these songs are just just great songs you don't really care what they are so um i mean i i think that um one of the things that uh, another interview that i was watching is that they feel like they sort of came to be after their third album faith hope love and that was the sound but i mean i don't know l listening back if i would say, oh, Faith, Hope, Love was finally their sound because I mean, I th I think their sound was pretty much laid in, locked in from the first album, from this one anyway. Um, I, I I think that um, this is is still the sound of King's X to me, and it sort of, sort of has all the uh, elements there. Yeah, there I mean, is. I'm sorry, Joe. No, <laughs> I was just going to say. There is so much to talk about here. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, I mean, this is crazy. This is crazy. Go ahead, Joe. Sorry, man. Well, and I, and I was going to say, you know, I, I agree with you 100%, Tom. I think, you know, in terms of, of, you know, the sound, you know, I think Out of the Silent Planet and Gretchen Goes to Nebraska are, are very, very similar. Um, you know, in terms of that, I think I think Gretchen maybe ups the ante a little bit in the songwriting department, but in terms of, of how that sounds presented, I think they're they're very very close, and I think you know certainly through the first four albums of King's X, it it 
you know, if, if you sort of look at it from a distance, it's a very sort of understandable trajectory, um, which, you know, I, I can get behind. But, you know, honestly, and, and we've kind of touched on this with, with I think, Marillion and, and some of the Yes episodes as well. And, and, you know, it's not like these guys had only been together for a year when they released or when they recorded and, and released Gretchen. But Gretchen really is, you know, it's it's one of those high marks, those high water marks. Um, and, you know, we'll get there eventually. But I, you know, I don't think that Faith, Hope, Love, King's X are as good. I mean, I think I think Gretchen has it's you know it, it's their it's their close to the edge moment. Everything kind of came together. The sound is great. The songwriting's great. The performance is great. Everything about that album is just you know spot on. And mm-hmm. and to Paul's earlier point, the fact that it came out in 1989 with some of the other stuff that you know presumably was going on, and I haven't re- really researched 1989 at this point. Um, you know, it just, it didn't fit in anywhere. So it takes a lot of balls, I think, to, to put out that album, um, that time. Paul looks like he's, he's hounding some information for us. Yeah, I'm going to look for, uh, 1989 music. Um, oh, so. yeah, I've got it up already. I was dying to say mm-hmm. something about pre-18. Oh, go, go for it. <laughs> It's killer. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nineteen. We, we, we do. This is a, a tradition in the palaver now that, that, that we've existed for six months and we have traditions. Um, <laughs> we, we, we 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 try to highlight some of the other albums that came out in the same year as the topic album. So, uh, you know, Pretty Hate Machine from Nine Inch Nails, um, Mother's Milk, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, even, uh, Full Moon Fever, Tom Petty, um, and, and the funny thing, I, I, I was looking at, uh, we don't usually look at singles, but, uh, or, uh, pop stuff, but, um, <laughs> when, when this came out, Fine Young Cannibals were at the top of the charts, so that kind Fine of Young something Fine Young Cannibals, wow, yeah. there you go. Millie Vanilli. This is, this is not Fine Young Cannibals, no doubt about it. We we mentioned fine young cannibals, Millie Vanilli, and a flock of seagulls. We're really branching out. M- Millie and, and, Millie happened in September of this year. So 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 so, so Gretchen was in June, and M- 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 Millie Vanilli broke in September. So it was it was a really screwed up year. If you pick out some of the metal though, or what passes for metal back then, you have uh, poison. Every rose has its thorn. Um, Warrant, Heaven, Bon Jovi has a, I'll be there for you. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's a lot different than King uh, King's X. <laughs> yeah. Def Leppard, Armageddon. It. Yeah. In a way, I think- for us, I mean, it was almost like Gretchen was almost the saving grace of the 80s, really. I mean, because... I mean, look at all the horrible bands that you guys mentioned that, that sort of, like, ruined the 80s. Um, but it was sort of like... Um, oh, wait a second. There was say they ruined the 80s. different, that's all. Well, you know, and, and perhaps the, the sad footnote to that is is that those quote-unquote horrible bands took away all the money. Yeah. Right. Well, 
So, um, so I think I, I think I just uh, used this the other day is that we, we were in like when, when I talk about other musical genres and I talk about, you know, when they've gone to the point where they're just completely commoditized or commoditized, they're completely commod. They're all commodities. What is that? Called? Yeah. What that, you know what I'm saying? I can't say that. So instead of saying that, I say, well, we've okay. entered into the warrant and kicks era of that genre. Right. Which is, which is pretty much what was happening in 89. Right. Like warrant, like warrant had a couple of, of decent, uh, tracks, but they sort of signaled the onslaught of, and, and I noticed that enough is enough came out nothing against the is enough boys, but like the these were the signals that '80s hairband was entering into the full-on commodity era, and we had things like um, Nine Inch Nails starting to break through. We had things like Jane's Addiction and Red Hot Chili Peppers. So there was some other kind of, you know, heavier but rhythmic type of music coming through. But for sure, nothing even came close to what. Gretchen goes to Nebraska sounded like I don't think I, I'm not seeing anything on this list that is even um, you know hinting at that and you know everybody credits you know uh, Nirvana smells like teen spirit with bringing down AIDS hairband um, but, but I totally agree with you know what you had mentioned before Tom is that you know I don't think I wouldn't say that King's X were the was the first grunge band but I think with I think when you listen to Pleiades, when you listen to the, the big riff in Out of the Silent Planet, the song, when you listen to the mission, uh, when you listen to the opening of, of, of In the New Age and um, Visions, like those riffs Amen. are as big and juicy of a grunge riff that you will hear in the next five years from the likes of Soundgarden and Pearl Jam and STP and all the others that I, I'm not mentioning. Um, they, I always refer to King's X as the grandfathers of grunge because they were, they really weren't the first grunge artists, but I, f I do really feel like they were, they had the pieces that the original grunge artists took and said, yeah, this is what we're doing now. Nice. Paul, um, you mentioned Pleiades. I was actually looking for that. That's what I was looking for on my computer to, to try to remember something. Um, an interesting story is that in one of these documentaries that I was watching uh, about King's X, that Pleiades, Ty Tabor wrote that in the um, sneak preview days, like that the later, at the very end of the sneak preview days. That's the song that changed the band. Um, yeah. Really? Doug heard yeah. that. And he's like, he was blown away by this. He's like, whoa, what is this? Why are we not playing this? And and Ty's like, this is just something I, I wrote for myself. Uh, I just wanted to share it with you guys. And then Doug's like, wait a minute, well, let's take another right turn because they already taken took an, the, another right turn with the edge to the uh, uh, whatever that band um, state preview. <laughs> um, so then they. Um, they turned again to what we think of now as King's X, 
but that was the song. Um, yeah. And, and that's sort of what, what changed it. So I'm glad you brought up that song because I was trying to remember what it was. And that, you know, so that's a perfect tie-in, Tom. So, Jay, I can't remember, can't remember who was with me at the Empire Rock Club. Was it you, Jay? Was it? Yeah, yeah. I think Dan was there. Yeah. Yeah. So, Gretchen, we got Gretchen in, in the end of August. We started listening to it for a few months. We really liked it. It was, it was probably only a couple of months. It was like October. And King's X was playing at the Empire Rock Club. And, and, um... They were all standing outside waiting to get in, and they canceled the show. So they came out. The guy, the you know, one of the guys came out and said, "Sorry, gang, you know, show's canceled." And he said, "There, I have a whole other story about that later too." Um, well, yeah, the band came out, right? Yeah. So then, so uh, so yeah. So Ken, were you with us there that, that night too? I can't. I just can't remember everybody who was there. Yeah, I mean, I, I really want to know if it was the club's electric power or Ty's gear that just blew up. It and was Ty's I'm, gear. It was Ty's gear. And so, <laughs> so there, there, so there, that's, that, that's kind of another story. But yeah, it was definitely Ty's gear. And he's, you know, he's on the, the YouTubes in interviews talking literally about how his yeah. guitar and amp rig were so screwed up and delicate to try to get this special sound that he had. That they were literally canceling sh canceling shows because half the time they couldn't even get it to work. Um, Dude, how many times but, did we just play through whatever crate crap we could find? And like, I, I can't believe yeah. that some manager didn't force them to play through a Marshall or whatever. Yeah, it, it's it is it is pretty um, pretty crazy. But so the coolest thing about that night, which was the be it was the best show I've ever seen, was that we all hung around with the band for like the next 90 minutes after they canceled the show they just came out and they chatted so like the first time i heard that story tom was actually from ty Tabor. he shared oh, wow. with us how that song was really pleiades was really the song that started it off for them as far as king's x went and it was and like here i am right like this is this brand new band and i'm already idolizing them because i just can't get over how amazing i think gretchen goes to nebraska is and and he's talking to the the gang we're all standing around and they're talking about this song called goldilocks and i don't know what they're talking about and he's talking about it and he keeps bringing up out of the silent planet and and so finally i say i'm sorry i said when you're saying out of the silent planet you're are you talking about the song and he just like laughed at me and he goes no he was like we actually have another album out called out of the silent planet and of course my jaw just was like what <laughs> there's more i can't believe it so so you know so he shares this this you know to me and whoever else is standing there doesn't realize it that the year before they put out an album called out of the silent planet and he said Nobody knew about it. So we just figured, well, we would just put out the next album and try it again. And, <laughs> and so and when, you, when you put all that together, the fact that Pleiades was what kind of started all of this, and he actually talked about how the song Out of the Silent Planet was originally going to be on Out of the Silent Planet, the album, but they just couldn't get it right in the studio when they were working on it. They just couldn't get it, get it done. And then they were able to work it out for Gretchen, like you realize that 
in a way, Gretchen Goes to Nebraska is really Out of the Silent Planet Part 2, right? It's they, it's the same kind of style. It's the same kind of music. It's just more of them experimenting in this new direction that they that they chose. And it's, you know, when you think about, of all bands, like, it may be the greatest sophomore album ever, ever put together. Yeah. But it, it's, I think it's very appropriate that we're sitting here sort of talking about both of them at the same time. Because, in a, in a sense, they they really do belong together i was i was listening to episode seven about happiness is the road how they started with one and then they ended they, they recorded the other one while the other one was already being done finished and <laughs> and they ended up with this you know multiple album this is almost the same thing but they released it you know one year behind the other and um i think in the music in these two albums is so colorful they go in so many different directions and they put together so many different between the heavy guitar and the distorted bass and the melodies and the different vocals and just the tightness of it all. Like there's so much color in these two albums that I, that I think they're still kind of figuring out, you know, what sound really is. And it's still to this day, it, it is somewhat magical for me. I think it's sound dramatic. But when I listen to these two records, it is just really like, you know, someone reaches down into my gut and just pulls out the, 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 the greatest parts of music. It's, it's wonderful. Paul, that's incredible that you heard that story from Ty himself. That's, uh, I never heard that story from you before. That's, 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 that's great. It was, the, it was one of the coolest, like, you know, music moments of my of my life that night talking with them and meanwhile i was pissed off that his amp blew up you know and he's and he's cool enough to come outside and talk yeah. to fans in the midst of all that that's awesome Dave hopping in the bus going yeah and some asshole didn't even know about it out of the silent planet <laughs> i'm sure you weren't the only asshole paul <laughs> but uh you know you know yeah, what? We're probably the only five people on Earth who still have uh, even heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> the only bad part about that night was that by the time we left, um, all the record stores were closed, so I couldn't get out of the Silent Planet that night to listen to it on the ride home. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have a question for you guys. Um, so Goldilocks, apparently they re-recorded it. And it, they put it on like a later album. Have has anyone heard this? Nope. What album I have. is this? You have? Who yeah, it's, it? it's on it's on one of their albums on Spotify. It's like a bonus track or something like that. Okay. They because beat? they actually regretted doing it. They were like, I guess they were doing it to get um, because it's a commercial sounding song, and they wanted to. I, I, I guess Aerosmith did it with Dream Again, and like seven years later, um, or, or sorry, uh, uh, Dream On, um, and it worked for them. And so they're like, "Oh, we're gonna let, let, let's try it ourselves." And they re-released Goldilocks, thinking that um, they would have some commercial sex, uh, you know, commercial success with it, and it didn't work, obviously. <laughs> and uh, surprise, surprise, and well. They actually regretted doing it, so I was wondering if any of you guys had heard it. Yeah, so it's on the album Ogre Tones. Hmm. 
and which is over, which is heavier, I think. Familiar with overtones. I'm looking forward to diving into it. But it's um yeah, it's it's on there, and it definitely sounds like it's you know down. I think probably by overtones they were already dropped. You know they had they were dropped down tuned like a whole step, so it, it sounds lower and it sounds heavier. Like it's you know. The interesting thing, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about it as we dig into all of the albums and we move forward. Like for me, the Gretchen Ghost in Nebraska tone, it, the guitar tone is the King's X sound. Yes. And yes, yes, yeah. And like, you know, Jay, I know, like, you, I know you never really liked the way the drums sounded. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm just putting that in your mouth, but I felt like you always thought that the drum sounds were pretty lame on. Um, on the early King's X albums. And I just didn't care because the guitar sound <laughs> so amazing. Yeah. And I've, I've spent a lot of time in my basement over the years trying to figure out how to make my guitar sound anywhere near um, <laughs> Ty Tabor's sound. <laughs> and I've watched a lot of videos and everything. But what is fascinating in all of my video research, and there are some guys who have researched Ty's rig and have replicated the whole thing and have videos that are pretty darn tootin' close to, to sounding the way the way he does. But in all of my research, there are a lot of interviews about their sound, and what seems to be universal among the three of them is that they really didn't like the way Out of the Silent Planet and Gretchen Goes to Nebraska sounded. Um... They didn't think it was a good representation of who they were live. They didn't think it sounded heavy enough. Um, they thought that they were they um, sounded more rockin' live than than those two albums would would indicate. And you know, they said that the when they did Dogman, that was when they were like, "Yes, like this is what we've been trying to sound like." you know, for all these years. And I, you, you can't really argue with that. I mean, the sound of Dogman is ridiculous. Is massive, massive sounding guitar on that album, yeah. Yeah. Faith Hope Loves that is a real step back, in t I think, in terms of quality of sound. I, I don't know what they did, what they changed, but between Gretchen and Dogman, like, yeah, they made a mistake there. Wow, I really love the Gretchen sound. Just the the, the, the it, it's so just listenable, just so present. It's so clear, and I feel that when they got bigger, they lost clarity. So I I, I guess I'm the exact opposite opposite of the band. Wow. Yeah, I, I I tend to agree with you, Ken. I mean, while I appreciate you know, what Dogman has to offer. And like you said, Paul, when I think of King's X, and I already said this, Gretchen Goes to Nebraska was was the peak. I, I don't think they've ever done anything since then that speaks to me the way Gretchen Goes to Nebraska does. So I'm, I'm, I'm on board with you. Yeah, that's that's fair. I I. Like, I mean, well, I mean, you guys have heard me blather about Gretchen Ghost in Nebraska for three decades now. So I don't think <laughs> I need to. <clears throat> so it was, you know, because I, I have this ability or this 
inability to not worry about stupid parts of this sometimes. One of the notes that I made as I was, you know, thinking about and preparing for this actually says Paul's shirt. Because, Paul, I just remember you wearing your Gretchen shirt a lot. And <laughs> since, since I am the historian, where are we? There you go. Nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there we go. I love it. <laughs> nice. And, and ironically, that's me wearing my talk shirt. I love it. That's awesome. <laughs> which seems yeah. which seems timely given that we've spent so much time talking about the uh, Yes Talk album, but that's a whole different thing. <laughs> so, so now we need to do video. See, you're just putting yourself in a hole with the video I'm situation. Putting myself in a hole. Or you need you need to send me that picture, one or the other. I, I um, can do that. Trust me, that's going to go up on Twitter, too. I'm always looking for garbage to put out there just to maintain our presence. Yeah. One other, one other just, and I'm, I'm going to take a step back after this, and I'm going to ask a serious question. However, um, on, on a purely adolescent perspective, one of the things, and I hope, I hope that we can hear... Um, on Gretchen, one of the greatest intros to a song ever. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> I could listen to that all day long. <laughs> Just, I need, I'd like to get a ringtone of that, so every time you text me, Joe, I could hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to play that mission. Would, that would be uh, that would be awesome. So, you know, it was funny as I was as I was preparing for this, and and um, you know, I, I I can still, and maybe it's because I I continually listen to both these albums, but I can I can still sing these albums. I still know the words. It's amazing. But the question that I have for you guys is if I put you up against a wall and I say, give me one song on either of these albums, but, but let's talk, let's keep it to Gretchen just so we don't twist ourselves into knots too much. What's the one song you're going to keep and put it in your pocket for the rest of your life? Well, I, I played this game in my head. Uh, and for some reason I picked Mission just because uh, I, 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 I like the uh, stained glass, and, uh, and I, I think they were challenging authority at that period. There, there's definitely uh, uh, a, a kind of a theme uh, where you know they, they are who they are, but but they're not necessarily impressed with the higher ups. You know. You know, I, 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 I like I like that answer, Ken. As I was, you know, listening to that song in particular. Um, yeah, I, I can remember having a different perspective about that when I was younger. But, but you're absolutely right in in the way that it it's it's not quite so obvious. Like you know the you know the anti-evangelical song that there are you know five different versions of um, that everyone did. But this one is is you're right. It's it's much more focused on maybe the 
the overall power structure, which is very, very cool. It's not, it's not quite so obvious. So excellent. Jay. Yeah. Uh, it's a toss up for me between, uh, mission because of the, the way the guitar starts right after the organ. And it's just, it's so big. It's, I just look forward to I can, like I count the songs until mission comes on, but out <laughs> 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 of the silent planet is the song that I most associate with Gretchen, which is you know what I associate as the best album. So I guess I'd have to give it to Out of the Silent Planet. Very cool, Paul. I'm going clockwise around my. This is really. This is hard. This is a hard question. The, getting rid of one would have been a much easier question um, to answer. Which one would you have? I'll, I'll give you a second. Uh, I, if, I, if I had to remove one song, it would be I'll Never Be the Same. Um, really? Interesting. A great, great song. But, you know, I think from, you know, from Force Ranking these songs, that's the number 12. Um, okay. Uh, so I, I, you know, I don't know. I think I would probably pick the burning down because mm, nice. Um, there is something about the ending, and and there's something about all of the vocals in the verse that is, um, you know, I think it really brings in all of the color of these two albums all together, and. Um, the sentiment of the song is 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 fantastic, and it's just uh, yeah one of my favorites. So I think I'd go with that one. Excellent, nice choice, Tom. Um, <clears throat> it's a very hard question. Uh, I mean, I, I think Summerland is has always been one of my uh, favorites on, on Gretchen. But you know, I agree with Jay. You know, there's something about the song. Out of the Silent Planet, that is mesmerizing. Um, the harmonies in that. Um, I mean, when that when this when that album starts, mm. uh, there's just nothing like I've ever I, I've never heard anything like that. I mean, even from King's X, really. I mean, if you, if you think about it, um, they just it's just a, a truly truly uh, original and hypnotic song that um really defines the album and uh i, I just uh, listening to it recently uh, just found a new respect for it uh, which I, I sort of always had but um I, I, that might have to be the um favorite song on 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 gretchen yeah i would have picked summerland myself there's just Summerland is if if Out of the Silent Planet opens the door, Summerland is like you know it's the the first big room in the house or whatever that I get into, and so for me, yeah, Summerland is is the one that really just cracks open the the can and, and goes from there. Yeah, but man. Very very the, um, cool. You know, I just have to say, Summerland is, um, it's almost like anthem-like. And I remember seeing them play that song on uh, on the 
during the Dogman tour at the TLA. And Doug's performance of that song that night was just unbelievably passionate. And um, that's, that's one of those great songs where, you know, when you first hear that song at 19 years of age, and, you know, and it makes an impact on you when, when your whole life is ahead of you. And then you go back and you listen to it at age 47 and you're like, wow, like this, like the, it, the, the awesomeness of this song remains, but the meaning and impact is, is just transformational. It's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome tune. Nice choice, Joe. Well, and, and, you know, I think as we discussed, it would be hard to go wrong with this album. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know it like, you know, back to your question, Paul, if, if I was going to remove one from this, I think I might, I might remove send a message, but you know, I'm not married to that, but I mean, most, <laughs> of them, most, most of these songs, I mean, it just, it, it, it's, it's just one after the other. And you know, you're just like, wow. You know, I mean, literally from out of the silent planet through, um, Probably through Don't Believe It. Uh, you know, there's nothing There's nothing bad there at all. And and that's not to say that Send a Message is bad either. It's just it's a little bit more obvious, maybe. And, and then, of course, they go from that right into the burning down, and it's like, all right, cool. So let's, let's spend a little bit of time on Out of the Silent Planet. I want to make sure it gets, you know, it's, it's proper due as... You know, as opposed to maybe just a, a lead-in or, or Gretchen Part One, whatever the case may be. So, you know, and and I think in in a lot of ways, um, you know, in the in the New Age and the song out of the Silent Planet, you know, both those albums kind of open in a in a similar sort of way. And you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. Out of the Silent Planet. Uh, on Gretchen does it a little bit better. Um, so a lot has been made about Goldilocks being, you know, maybe a more commercial song, um, Power, Love, Wonder, Sometimes King. But for me on this album, What Is This is really that song that just hits me right in the head and knocks me over. Um, <laughs> just just can't, can't get enough of it. So, I mean, what are your guys' thoughts you know, if, if you're looking at, at the album out of the Silent Planet specifically, you know, what is it about, you know, what are, what are the aspects of that that resonate with you guys? Ken? Um, you know, as much as the, the fan base loves Goldilocks and I've, I've come to appreciate it, I can't sing the damn song because it's in ah. this odd time. And every two years... I, I play it and I I count it out and I learn it, I memorize it and I forget it two years later because it makes no sense. <laughs> so I just you know it's a love song. It's pretty. Just just do it in four so I don't have to keep relearning it. <laughs> just had to get that off my chest. Well, that's that's what that's what the palaver's for, Ken. To to get these things off your chest, absolutely. Because you're probably not alone. 
I mean, yeah, if, 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 if you know anybody new going to like a, a concert and be like, oh, this is really poppy, this is interesting, but there's something like really off about it, and you know, yeah. the, the, the diehards know what that is. They've 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 gotten yeah. past that stage. Yeah, it is, it is really hard to play and sing at the same time, Ken. And I I've only ever done it on bass, and it is it it, 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 it you're right. It just doesn't the rhythm of the song. When you just listen to the guitar line, it makes great sense. And when you just sing it, you're like, yeah, this is fine. But then when you try to actually play it and sing it, it's like, you're like, wait a second. I'm with you 100%. 100%. It's a little, it's a little goofy. And there's a boatload of that, I think, all over King's X, which is, which is amazing about Doug. And, um, yeah. and there's, certain, there's certainly plenty of it going on here in... Um, and out of the silent planet and Goldilocks and far, far away and things like that. Yeah. I had quite the um, sappy moment with Goldilocks. Actually, Joe, when um, I saw you in 2012, uh, when I, I drove to Texas. Oh, sure. And um, we were filming in, in Texas. And I was driving out, and of course I was listening to the best of King's X, and um, several times, mind you. Anyway, Goldilocks, I really miss my family, um, and uh, my youngest was, you know, just a year or two old. I, I just was really missing my family, and that song sort of stuck with me the entire month I was in Texas. Um, I, I couldn't get the song out of my head, and it, you know, I was just, I was just like, just like the sappy fool, just like singing <laughs> Goldilocks, missing my family. Um, and I realized that, um, you know, King's X really hits you on a lot of different levels. Um, it can just, you know, get you in the gut and just like, you know, sing out loud and rock out. But uh, I mean, a song like that is. And mind you, it's on their first album too. So I mean, they're um, it's it's pretty impressive that uh, a song like that can um, stay with me um, and, and sort of uh, stay in my mind and uh, just just be enjoyable. But uh, I don't I don't know. I mean, it was just uh, I think Goldilocks is a tremendous song, and obviously they still think it is because they you know I've been trying to re-record it and yeah. uh, you know, trying trying to get more uh, mileage out of it. So um, um, I mean, Goldilocks really is a special song. Cool. All right. So yeah. So I, one other thing about like the sound of this. The, um, the vocals sound like so the one thing about Gretchen we've talked about it especially in out of the sound planet how uh, the um, the vocals just are almost ethereal and they're all kind of you know the one thing I love about the way the vocals are mixed in Gretchen is that they're even the backing vocals are all lead vocals right they're all lead vocal volume you don't necessarily have a lead with all these quiet vocals in the back that are singing um, backing vocals I think that out of the Silent Planet, although similar, is is a little bit more like your typical backing vocals. And I think it really works well. And I really think that the the, the soulfulness that you talked about it, Tom, and I would agree, I, and 
1989, I don't think I would have characterized it as soul. Um, but that was just me, you know, being naive. But it's very soulful. The, the backing vocals in the album Out of the Silent Planet have this soulful sort of R&B feel to them that is, is really cool. And I, I will never forget... Oh, this is a great story that we have to that we have to just flesh out real quick. Uh, when the whole show that we missed at the Empire Rock Club was a bust, we decided we were going to be able to see them again when Kings X opened for Billy Squire and uh, Blue Murder at the Tower Theater. That's where I let the dog out. That's why I let Barney exactly, out exactly, oh. dude. You let the dog out without putting him on the leash, and then oh. we spent like forty-five minutes trying to find them. What? And we ended up missing like half of the King's X set, which was only like four songs anyway. But, but that was that was crazy. I was there. But when was we there, were that- walking into <laughs> when we were walking into the tower to get our seats, King's X was playing "The Power of Love," and I when they got to that "The Power of Love" with all the vocals, I remember just being floored at how giant the vocal sounded live and i was just like holy crap these guys can really do it um that was pretty awesome that was pretty awesome so is you know and and you guys obviously have a have a different perspective than than i do being actual musicians it is was was there something about King's X when we were 18 or, or 19 years old that sort of like you said Paul maybe you understood something was different better whatever but you didn't really maybe at the time understand or appreciate what exactly that was and then you had sort of an epiphany epiphany moment and you're like oh I get it was there anything like that with you guys or was it just were you just always that brilliant that you always knew what the hell was going on Uh, I'm pretty sure Ken was pretty much brilliant, and he knew what was going on at the time. Just saying that because he stepped away. Um, <laughs> you know, I think part of the reason that I loved these two albums so much was because I didn't know what was going on. I couldn't figure out what that damn chord was in in over my head. Um, I, I could never play the songs that I wanted to play right like i could get close but i could never really i knew when i was listening to it that i wasn't playing it right i couldn't sing like doug pinnock or ty Tabor. it was like every it was like the coolest thing i had ever heard and it was all of it just seemed to be out of my out of just out of my reach and um which was frustrating because jay could play the drum parts with no problem whatsoever he was just <laughs> One arm, one arm in his shirt, and he's playing along like it's no problem. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to get your guys' opinions of the drum sounds on both "Out of the Silent Planet" and "Gretchen." To me, they're they're horrible, but they're indicative of the '80s, right? To me, that that's how they sounded. It's just absolutely awful, and like I don't know, couldn't they have done any better? You know, what, what, <laughs> you guys are engineers. You tell me. <laughs> it's so funny that you're saying that because today I was listening to um, I listened to both these on the ride home today I was on the turnpike and um, 
and far far away comes on and i'm just listening to the drum intro and it it literally sounds like when you listen to the drum intro of far far away you get the impression that they they bought about 15 hours of studio time and had to record the entire album in that in that 15 hours <laughs> and they basically just mic the drum and the engineer leaned over to his reverb machine and like selected like you know plate a dash three and that was what the sound was for the whole album and yeah. it, it is so like they're just so bad they just don't sound good even for <laughs> even for that there are some pretty aw like if you go back and listening to the drum sounds on Dawkins Tooth and Nail, it's pretty awful too. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but but these ones are are even worse than that. I think. So, <laughs> I think that's maybe I don't know twenty percent of of my criticism of Jerry. You know, I think he's a bad drummer, but you know, twenty percent of it is the sound. You just can't get past the sound. <laughs> <laughs> It gets better in Gretchen. It definitely does, but you know the snare. The snare sound is little, you know, still a little lackluster. But again, it's I I say that acknowledging that I think yeah the drums could sound better, but the guitars sound so amazing. I just I just don't you know care. But the interesting thing about Gretchen and Out of the Silent Planet too is that the bass. It, you know, Doug is playing these distorted bass lines. They, you know, talk about how he double tracked them. He would play like a regular bass line and then he would go back and, and double it while playing his bass through a guitar amp distorted. And, and you don't, you get the sense of it, but you don't really ever feel the bass in these two albums that you just hear this cool sound but sometimes it's almost like the bass is turned down yeah. and which is which is why i do love dogman so much because i remember being in colby's uh loft bedroom listening to dogman and his giant speakers and i think we were listening to um uh fool you and the one big chord like in the chorus where it, like everybody hits and then it it's just the drums and it's just like it, it feels like the floor almost drops out from under us when the bass stops playing because it's just so thunderous. And you just don't get that on these two albums. And I think that interferes with, or it, it complements the shitty sounding drums because um, there's no bottom end really at all. Yeah. Like <laughs> um, do you hate the drums too? What's that? Do you hate the drum sounds too? Do they bother you? You don't even hear them. Uh, honestly, you're... no. Um, you know, I think that any on on these two are really any King's X album. Um, there, there isn't. Yeah, there's definitely. I agree. In like Dogman, um, the guitars are mammoth, and it's just like you know steak. I mean, it's just incredible. But um, there isn't really anything that stands out because um as a whole they're they're just perfect it's just it's really a perfect mix you're kind of going where you need to go and um and it's it, 
these albums are, are taking you to a place and they're successful in doing that. And I, I don't know. Um, I think the drums play, do their part. I think they're successful at it because um, we're sitting here talking about two amazing albums. And if uh, I, I, I don't know if it, if the drums really bother me, I mean, probably next time I listen to it, I'm, I'll be listening to it with a with a different ear. But um, I'm I'm very happy. You know, even the, out of the Silent Planet, it's definitely a rougher mix. Like when you hear it compared to Gretchen, um, you're here, you're hearing okay, this is a little bit scaled back, a little bit more raw. But it's still everything is to me where it should be because I'm, I'm because I'm loving it. Um, so. Uh, to answer your question, it, it doesn't. The drums don't really bother me too much. Yeah. I hear you. You had when you listen to the album as a whole, you don't you don't focus on you know, the '80s drum sound, and it's, it's passable or it's you know it's decent, it, it survives. But when you focus on it, it, you pull it apart, you separate it from the whole sound, and it's maybe not quite as good as you'd want. You know, I think that. The bass and the guitar sound so good on King's X. I almost like there's something that has to sort of give um, because I mean Doug always has these beefy sounds and it's just these low. Just I hate to use the word you know grunge, but these like grungy sounds and these uh, just thick uh, bottom end sounds and um, a lot of times the guitar is just bigger than life. So. Um, you know, maybe something, maybe the reason why they're successful, or maybe not successful, depending on how you look at it, um, but the reason why they're successful is because um, they know that maybe the drums have to fit a certain pocket, and um, maybe they do. I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. I'll uh, listen to it with a with a different ear next time I, I mean, could, to Couldn't you say the same thing for Van Halen? I mean, you know, the guitar is so friggin' big. You know, the drums, you know, they're, they're good, they're okay, they're there, but they're right. not nearly as big as the guitar. Right, and yeah, and, and I certainly think in King's X, and we talked about this before with, with the way the drums are played, they're not a point of emphasis. So it's you know, with the exception of of you know exceptional people like you, Jay, most people are just sort of glossing <laughs> over it because it's just you know it's in the back. But but yeah, um, here's here's my fear because like one of the things, and, and this goes back to the very first episode we ever did, um, right out of the box, one of the first things that Paul ever said on on the palaver was he was tearing apart the drum sound on script for Jester's Tear. And, you know, for me, it was one of those things where as soon as I figured that out years ago, I, I can't now listen to script without some little part of me going, listen to the shitty drums. <laughs> and, and, and now my fear is I'm going to go back in and listen to these two albums and I'm going to have that little switch flip. And yeah. even though it, even though it will probably be you know relatively quiet given everything else that's going on, 
I'm probably from now until the end of my days, every time I listen to this, going to have the little little guy in my in my head going, listen to the shitty drum set. <laughs> Thanks, Jay. You just ruined my two of my favorite albums. Oh. Well, I think I think that's what like Jay's point rings home is that in the context of the whole album, you don't necessarily. It's not a distracting issue. It's it's yeah. It's very obvious, but it's it's not it's not terribly distracting. And and I don't as date as dated as those drums sound and out of the silent planet. I don't think that. When you pop Gretchen on and listen to it, I don't think like there's still this uh, this crazy uniqueness about the way that Gretchen sounds that still holds true today. It just sounds different than than everything else. I think on some social media post where you were supposed to pick out like 15 of your favorite albums, um, I included Gretchen Goes to Nebraska, and I wrote that, you know, after I heard this album, everything was categorized in one of, of two categories, anything I had heard before and everything I had heard after I listened to this album. And I, it still stands true. It's so, it's so different. One of the things, though, that I wanted to mention about, and this is not necessarily about the drum sound, but in the, the tightness of the band, you know, beyond the rhythmic tightness of some of the... Of the rhythmic patterns in the songs a song like visions where there's this chorus and it says visions inside my head just like mine and there's a couple times in the song where it's like just like mine and it just everybody hits and there's like a quarter note rest it's almost it's almost you don't even notice it in the the album it's just it ends with a hit everybody stops and then they start the next beat but when you see them do it live, and I remember them doing this at the Tower Theater, it was like the entire theater was silent for that one quarter beat. And it was like, wow, that's <laughs> incredible. And I have seen them do that in, you know, not just on that song, but many other songs over and over again in the many years that I've seen them play live, where it doesn't matter if they're at the Tower, at the TLA, or at Chestnut Cabaret, wherever I've seen them play, uh, the Sellersville Theater, they get to those spots and they stop. And it is just, you can hear a pin drop in the theater. And it's incredible. No other band does that. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a very cool effect that they, that they do. And somehow I think the shitty drum sound plays into them pulling that off. <laughs> <laughs> is Sam Taylor the producer on those first two albums? Yes. The, um, yeah. So, so Sam is listed along with King's X, but I mean, I have the impression that it's mostly Sam Taylor. But yeah. So, 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 so they, they they must have been going for just one sound. It comes at me just like there's something like a storm coming at me, and there's no definition that I really care about between guitar and bass. It's a thing, and I love it, and it's just like gonna hammer into me. And, and 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 I think I think eventually you know they grew up a little bit and they became you know their own sounds and, and, and you know the, the bass finally had definition Paul like you said in Dogman but I, yeah. I just love the ambiguity of that Gretchen sound they're they're just everything is just all blended into one friggin nasty instrument yeah. 
Well, and it yeah, and it's interesting, Ken, and obviously we'll get there in in future episodes. But those first four albums were all produced, you know, either by or with Sam Taylor. And as Paul was alluding to earlier, you know, when they did Dog Man, they switched to um, uh, who they switched to. Brendan O'Brien, I think, is the guy's name. Yep. Yep. So, so that that you know that that transition represents the paradigm shift that you know is immediately obvious. And uh, Ty Tabor yeah. also um, Ty Tabor also changed his rig. Um, his guitar rig on 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 Dogman, he changed it to the uh, Mesa. So that I mean, and that so that 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 was a huge difference right. as well. The dual rectifier, the dual rectifier, to that album. Yeah, I mean, no, that, nobody can play like Ty Tabor though. So too bad. What's that? I said nobody can play like Ty Tabor though. So, no, it's too bad. No. Um, you know, so. A brief. I just want to say something. I it, like literally. I don't know how much longer we're going to talk. Uh, we probably didn't cover half the stuff that uh, that we could have. Um. I over the years, I have really um, developed a very low opinion of Sam Taylor. Um. And oh. I know that I know that he has terrible. Uh, I won't buy. I won't buy Sam Taylor dinner. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, and and you know, to be fair, like they had a falling out, and clearly, I have giant crushes on uh, the, the members of King's X, and you know, anyone who does them harm, you know, somehow offends me, I guess. But you know, he, uh, you know, he. They say they had a falling out. He say they didn't give him much attention. My take on it was that he screwed them over pretty good. And, um, you know, Doug mentioned that that, that dog man tour that, that I saw them, he, they were going to do fool you. And he said, you know, basically that he loves the guy, but if he never sees him again, that will be okay. Um, that was kind of the sentiment that they started to fool you with. So, so I'll put that out there just so you know how biased I am when I say this. If you think that there isn't a lot of information on the interwebs about King's X, try to find information on the producer known as Sam Taylor. There is almost nothing other than the fact that he was a video producer and promotional person for ZZ Top before he started working with local Houston bands, including King's X, Galactic Cowboys, and Atomic Opera. And when you look at that resume, you have to scratch your head and say, what on earth was this guy doing with these three incredibly talented guys? And it's almost like, uh, I, I don't want to use... I don't want to be too derogatory. It's almost like a. It's almost like, you know, your ex girlfriend, right? Sure, probably a lot of the good things that happened to you in in the last however long, you know, are because of her. But you know, most of the bad shit that's happened in your life is also because of her, right? And that's kind of how I look at at um, 
Sam Taylor, which maybe that's not a good analogy. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, he's credited with, like, pulling, you know, pulling the sound out of them, like, getting them to commit to the songs like Pleiades and, and going after that sound and, and being who they really were, which is all of the great music that we're talking about, how much we love it. But, like, if you can't make Gretchen Goes to Nebraska a success, even in 1989, like, you really don't have very much business, you know, going forward. And I have to wonder, whether was there anyone in the mix at any time where they were coming up to Ty or Doug and saying, hey, you know, you should really get rid of Sam and go with this person or let this person manage you because, you know, they'll be able to do all of this and all of that. Like, like really, like even the fact that there's limited information out on the webs about King's X and about, about Gretchen Goes to Nebraska and Out of the Silent Planet, it means that whoever was in charge of getting information out there, even back then, wasn't doing their job. And, um, and I just, I just have to wonder. I just have to wonder about you know that with uh, with with Sam Taylor. So there, I've said I've said my piece. Well, Paul, you bring up a very interesting uh, subject, which I think will be a common thread throughout a lot of these King's X episodes. Um, and that is okay. Why didn't King's X get any bigger? And I don't know. Uh, you bring up an interesting point about Sam, but I, I don't know if you can really make him the scapegoat. Um, overall, I mean, if you look at um, an album like Ear Candy, um, songs like, you know, was it Mississippi Moon and Looking for Love? I mean, those are just like huge, in my opinion, like big radio hits that could have happened. They didn't end up being radio hits, but they were, right. in my head, um, they could have been. And, Agreed. Um, I, I don't know, and this is, again, this is going to be something that you know we'll be able to talk about throughout because we're I'm skipping ahead here. But um, there is going to be conversations about why King's X didn't get any bigger. And... Um, Although you have a good point about Sam, and certainly a, a legitimate point um, in, in regards to Gretchen, um, if you look at some of their later albums with huge songs that never saw the light of day, um, I don't know if he would be considered the main culprit because he wasn't in the picture later on. You know, see what I'm saying? So, I, I yeah I I definitely hear what you're saying and I think you're right I think some of the choices that they've made over their careers of what to put on the radio have been uh, they've always like defaulted back to that original moniker of okay metal like let's play to that core group and you know where you take a band like Extreme where they you know they play to the masses where they release um you know, the two poppiest songs on their album, the uh, one ballad that I can't even think of what it's called. More um, Than Words? 
Thank you. Yeah, more than wor word, more than words. There's not another song on that whole album that's anywhere close to that. Nothing. But but it's you know, made. That is that is the most returned. I think you probably told me that's the most returned CD in history. <laughs> people, seriously, seriously, if you if you look it up, it is the most returned CD ever because people wow. bought that CD thinking like, oh, the whole album is going to be more than words, and then they heard, you know what it was and it's you know, not even all, the, all, the, all the all the soccer moms that bought it thinking that they were it was going to be like a whole album of love songs and then they were like what is this and then they actually returned it so anyway well, i i digress go ahead that's i did i did not know that until just, i didn't even know you could return cds until just now so i missed out on a lot of uh, refunds i guess um <laughs> that's great but you know they they always defaulted back to that to that, you know, core idea of okay, let's put out the metal, and uh, and you're absolutely right. I think they released the single for Ear Candy was the, one of the worst songs on the whole record. Um, I mean, it's still a good song, but uh, you know, compared to the ones that you mentioned, and some others. Um, the the I think the the counterpoint to that is that Ear Candy came out in what what was it like ninety six. It looks oh, like sorry. almost yeah, ninety six. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we're we're talking, you know, eight years, eight years later, right? Eight years after this. So I think you know, by eight years, if you're not you know cracking cracking through, I don't think anyone has any interest in in getting you there. And so, you know, the time for them to strike was with Gretchen and. You know, and I guess, you know, if you think back, you know, they had some songs on MTV. They were opening for Billy Squire. They were, you know, they were getting gigs. They were doing they were doing their thing. And Faith, Hope, Love came out and they had a radio hit and they were, you know, so I guess they could have felt like they were getting somewhere. Um, but it's, you know, it's it was always amazing to me then. And it will always mystify me that, you know, they they couldn't they couldn't break through with. You know, I, the, why never? Why did they never release the difference? Like that would have gotten them a little bit more uh, notoriety, which would have made. They should have re-released. They should have re-released Linda. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, that's a hit. No, no. <laughs> I think it's a little. I I think it's a little odd that you blamed or you put some blame on Sam Taylor for this. I think that it's just. It's like art rock. It's like it's it's too different. I don't think it'll ever be more widely accepted than it than it was. Yeah. You know, maybe a little bit more, but um. I, it's a it's a great point. You're right. I could be just completely just you know. You're bitter. Being, maybe I should take. Maybe I should maybe I should take this guy out to dinner and, and get his side. I don't know. Um, and and you know to well, to that to what you're both saying. Get, there, there, there was there was an interview, and I don't know if it was a. I, I think it may have been another podcast with Doug, and they they talked about this. And Doug mentioned when they released Dogman, uh, how super psyched they were, and they loved the album, and they loved the sound, and people really were responding to it. And not too long after they released it, they played Woodstock. And they had a really great spot in Woodstock. It was like right in the middle of the like evening. And he talked about the band. I don't even know who played before them or who played after them. He said, but you know, the band that went on before them 
nobody had ever heard of. And after they played Woodstock, they went on to sell like hundreds of thousands of records. The band that went on after them, no one had ever heard of them. Or they weren't that popular. I don't know if no one ever heard of them. And they went and they sold hundreds of thousands of records. And he said they played a set. They had the whole place going. He said he was one of the greatest experiences. And like two weeks later, it was like nothing happened. Hmm. And so you could absolutely be right on the money, Jay. And, and that maybe nobody just the masses don't really like or appreciate this yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. I think it's a, a factor of appreciation. Yeah. It's, it's, it's bizarre because I mean, so, so many bands sort of fit that same bill. Like, if you look at Alice in Chains, I mean, um, if we were to to describe to somebody who didn't hear, who never heard of Alice in Chains or King's X, we would be describing the same thing um, or similar. And you know, it's like one band sort of does it, another band doesn't, and. What's the reason? And it's arbitrary. I mean, it's a, it's an interesting discussion, but I don't know if um, I, don't, I don't I don't know if really there's an answer. Yeah, what well, it's funny you mention Allison Chains because uh, right when Faith Hope Love was released, I saw King's X at the Limelight in New York, and the opening band was Allison Chains, and they had just put out their first album, and. I was horrified by them. Like I just, like I thought, I thought Jerry Jerry was cool. Lane Staley, I just couldn't, I couldn't get. I just didn't get them. And I was like, these guys are gross and just, you know. And I definitely got their King's X vibe, like their their low, you know, grungy tune. Like it definitely to me was a great fit musically. I just didn't really like them. And um, and 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 by the end of that semester of college, you know, my, the neighbors that I lived downstairs from me were blasting "Man in the Box" every single day, every single night. And I just couldn't <laughs> get enough of that song. And and they they took off, you know. It was always remarkable to me that that happened. It's, it's incredible, and then they ended up like squandering their success, really. Um, yeah, like really the wrong band. I don't know. I mean, it's sort of a ridiculous conversation, but in my opinion, I, the wrong band got success. Just for the record, yeah, just for the record, I definitely came around with Alice in Chains and ended up liking them in the long run. You guys want to hear about 1994 Woodstock? It's a Friday night. On the north stage, we had Orleans Blues Traveler, Jackal, Delamitri, Live. From uh, Pennsylvania, right? Yep. Yeah. Then Mike James, Sugar. and then King's X. I don't know who James is, but they played before King's X. James sings laid. Uh, a- after King's X, Cheryl Crow, Collective Soul, Candlebox, and Violent Femmes. There you go. <laughs> interesting. All right, so, maybe, so I guess Cheryl Crow was pretty well known after King's X, so maybe that's why they didn't sell any records. Maybe that's that's what happened. They were overshadowed. Well, I think we have, um, yeah, obviously we have a lot more, you know, albums to talk about with King's X and try to figure out why they did or didn't uh, get where they should have gone. Any other sort of 
you know, last thoughts on Out of the Silent Planet or Gretchen Ghost in Nebraska before we put a pin in this one? Uh, have I, men. What's that? Go ahead, Tom. I was just going to say, we may be discussing Out of the Silent Planet again, but we, if we do, um, if we do ever discuss Iron Maiden, um, there is a song called Out of the Silent Planet on their <laughs> on their 2000 Brave New World release. There you go. And, um, so we may be we, we, we may be going back to the Silent Planet. That that would be awesome. I Maybe. look forward to that. Yeah. So there's so a couple things about Gretchen Ghost in Nebraska. I think there's probably enough lyrics that that I could pull from Gretchen and you know post as motivational type things uh, to last a month. You know, I, I think some of the lyrics are just really remarkable, and there are a couple songs on these two albums that basically taught me how to sing in my upper register. Uh, any sort of heavy metal scream that I ever developed in life was all thanks to Doug Panic and uh, and and some of, and some of these songs. So uh, even even now when you know if I'm jamming and we finish a tune and even if it has absolutely no place in it whatsoever, sometimes I'll just sit back and do my very best Doug Panic just to you know end the song and be like yeah you know. So uh, yeah. It, more than just more than just a couple records uh, for me here. More than words. More than just words. Oh. <laughs> Ken, Jay. Nothing profound for me. <laughs> I was surprised how much I, I enjoyed it. Uh, it, it, it. It was great. Thank you. Thank you. The, the, the palaver is an experience. It forces you to to jump right in. And it's usually a lot better than it seems. Yeah, that that uh, that is the case. I think I actually bring that up in the dinner conversation. So, gentlemen, I will thank you once again. Um, you know, I, I find it entertaining that we had our 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 best intentions of doing two albums in an hour, and here we are at an hour and forty-five minutes. <laughs> and I think all. I, th I think Paul could probably go on for another 45 minutes without any help at all. <laughs> Dude, if we, if we would go through these, we could start now and go through these track by track, which we haven't done. And we could talk yeah, for another know, two hours. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. But, um, you know, I think we did, uh, we, we certainly captured the, the flavor, the impact of these two very, very important albums. And then, um, you know, next episode, we can look forward to going into the the next two and the last two Sam Taylor works, Faith, Hope, Love, and King's X. So that's what we have to look forward to next time. Gentlemen? Awesome. Nice. It's been a pleasure yeah. recording with all yeah. five of you. I'm that was go, fun, guys. Uh, check the recording. Thank you all. <laughs> Cheers, guys. All right. Later. See you next time, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Progressive Palaver. We hope you've enjoyed the change of band as we've moved on to King's X, and we look forward to finishing out the King's X catalog over the next several episodes. 
As always, Progressive Palaver is available for subscription on both iTunes and Google Play. You can tweet us at progpala, that's P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A. You can email us at progpala at gmail.com. We are also available on Facebook at uh, Progressive Palaver, and we also have an Instagram and YouTube account. You can find both of those by searching Progressive Palaver as well. 